The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. And boy, is it a pleasure to be joined by my co-host this week, Katie Zaccardi. Hi, Katie. Hello, everybody. Oh, good to have you here. We're all breathing a sigh of relief at this moment. Uh, We're going to let you all peek behind the curtain on this, because right before we started our recording, before we started to go live... We were having some issues with Katie's headphones and the sound, and we didn't know. We literally did not know what was going to happen until I said, hi, Katie, and we heard you say hi back. We were all, I could see uh, my, my sister, Lauren, our producer, in the green room just being like, please say hi, please let us hear it, and here we are. Thank goodness. <laughs> Woo. Well, you know what? I, I feel like I still hear an echo, but I, my headphones broke, and then I just realized I have these Bluetooth headphones you can see. You know, what's funny is that I'm 99% sure I bought these because of an ad on Brie Noble's podcast, oh. who is our guest today. And nice, yeah, nice guest plug there. That was solid. She's coming up in the <laughs> other segment. All around awesome music industry mentor and a friend of Break the Business has been on this show a bunch of times. Love talking to her. Brie Noble is joining us in the next segment. She's going to talk to us about what I think is a pretty interesting Revenue stream for indie creators of all stripes, which is getting into coaching and teaching and how to create revenue opportunities for yourselves there, making money and building a career out of the stuff you already know as a creator. Pretty exciting. I know that's a big part of what you do as well, Katie. So I know I imagine you'll have a lot to say in, in that respect. Yeah, and it's been really exciting because Bree and I are collaborating now. So we've really been able to like bridge our mutual interests and be able to support indie musicians together, which is really fun. Ooh, that is fun. That's great. I can't wait to hear all about this collab. I need to take a deep breath here, Katie, because this week has been just a, a whirlwind of a week for Break the Business and for what we do on this show. And I feel like I'm still catching my breath over it, okay? Let me take you back here, Katie. The week started... With a pretty nice little piece of good news for Break the Business, we uh, just got Twitch affiliate status. That's awesome. Yeah, pretty stoked for that. And uh, Never thought that we would even get uh, to that point, but we're building a nice little community. I love where things are going. Thank you, as always, to the the folks who found us on Twitch who keep that going. Although the, the real question I have for myself now, and I'd be interested to see maybe if you have thoughts on this or what other Twitch streamers out there might think if there are any watching this who might have some thoughts are... Even though we've gotten affiliate status, I don't know if we're going to take advantage of it yet. Because one of the things that you have to do if you're going to take the affiliate status is you have to be exclusive to Twitch. And right now, Break Mm. the Business, we broadcast on YouTube, Facebook, because we got a little Facebook following over there, uh, Periscope on Twitter. We, we, We go everywhere. But if we're going to do affiliate status and get all the trappings that come with that, the cool, you know, the subs, the bits... Um, you know, just the, all the little cool emojis and everything that come with that world. And we fully get into that community. We got to be fully committed because then Twitch is our whole world. And we have to hope that our audiences on the other platforms find us. And I honestly don't know what to do. I, I don't know if we'll be availing ourselves of it, but it's a nice feather in our cap. We'll take it anyway. 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like Twitch is really becoming the big platform for streaming. So I think if you did go solely there, everyone else would have to follow inevitably because it really is taken over. Twitch is the new hotness for sure. But I, I got to tell you, I, I feel a little weird about just praising Twitch as I did right now, thanking them for the affiliate status. And now I'm in this first story, I'm going to have to come down on them a little bit because <laughs> Twitch, you done made a lot of creators upset, creators that I care about and that Katie cares about. And all right, let me explain what happened here. All right. Because again, whirlwind week and part of this whirlwind week that we've had it break the business is so many news stories have come in. We have too many things to talk about and not enough time. But the big story is what Twitch announced a couple days ago to all of the music users on its platform. So... On June 7th, Twitch sent an email to all of the Twitch streamers in the music category, basically letting them know that they're going to start cracking down, or at least implying that they're going to start cracking down on uh, creators who are using cover songs, who do cover songs, and are saving those cover songs as videos on demand and clips on the Twitch platform, which, if you're keeping score at home, is pretty much all of the... <laughs> Twitch creators in the music category. They're all keeping their music on the Twitch platform. And so now a lot of Twitch music creators, including ones that I care very deeply about, are freaking out because they're they're saying, do I have to go back to, to all of my VODs that I saved? Do I have to delete them all? Do I have to mute them all? And I have a lot of friends who are Twitch creators who, who have said, uh, you know, I have a stream where maybe I covered one or two songs, but then the rest of it was originals and it was uh, other content. Do I have to go through these videos and just get rid of the covers, like mute those and keep the rest? I have to go through all my content with a fine-tooth comb? And it's scary, especially for the creators that have not only lots of videos on Twitch that they've saved, but also get their livelihood from Twitch. There are, is an increasing number of creators who, have, who get you know, the majority of their income from subscriptions and bits. And if the nightmare scenario happened of Twitch shutting down your account, suspending your account... That's the end of your career. And so this is a scary time for a lot of musicians on Twitch because of this announcement that was just made. Lauren, if you could, uh, could you show the email that the that the Twitch users received? We have it there. Um, just, you know, we can we don't have to read this whole thing, but basically it's it's scary stuff. What they're saying is it, it comes down to this. There's, you know, Twitch has a, a license with performance rights organizations, which at least according to Twitch, allows its creators to live stream most cover songs. So if you're doing a cover song on a live stream, you're okay, at least according to this Twitch letter. Where Twitch is saying that you have to uh, basically stop this practice is when you take that live stream and then save it as a video for people to watch later, otherwise known as a VOD, video on demand. And what they're saying is you have to go through those cover songs and delete, if they have cover songs, you have to delete those because... Twitch doesn't have the license to make those happen. That requires a synchronization license. It's a little more complicated than uh, just making a deal with the PROs, which is what Twitch did for the actual live live streams. But it's a scary time right now for creators. And basically what it comes down to is if you are a music creator on Twitch, you should go through your account right now. If you have cover songs, give some serious thought to deleting those videos on demand or else you could be in trouble later. This is intense. If I was a creator on Twitch, I would be really frustrated right now. Yeah. 
And I feel like it stinks because a lot of people go live for hours at a time. You know, that's what they do. And it's hard to fill all of that space with just your own music or just your own talking. Like, of course, you'd want to do covers here and there. That makes it interesting. That helps you connect with people more. And so to have to, like, worry about, you know, if I do this, then the whole live basically either has to be ripped apart to be saved or I have to mute certain parts. It just makes it such a hassle. Ugh, I really feel for the indie creators who are already doing so much and, yeah. I, you know, went virtual to make more money and now have to like come up against this. Frustrated, Katie, as you put it, frustrated is the right yeah. word here because this is frustrating because it's always been, and we've covered this on this podcast in previous episodes, it's always been a little cryptic. You know, these streaming services, the, the Twitches, the YouTubes, they've always been a little bit cryptic in terms of what the specific instructions are with indie creators about cover songs. Can you cover songs on a live stream? Can you cover songs in videos to be shared later? And they've always not given completely firm advice, and part of the reason why is because the law isn't 100% clear on this. The law is still trying to figure things out a little bit because, you know, this is 19th, 18th century copyright law trying to solve 21st century tech problems, and there's a big gap. But a lot of creators, because they're not getting um, firm, good advice here, are trying to do the best they can, and they wind up in situations where they act in good faith, and then suddenly the uh, you know Twitch comes out and says, you got to change everything. And uh, Mary Amber, oh, great, great guest we had last week, one of my favorite people in the biz, she wrote, originals are still getting incorrectly DMCA'd. That's a big problem, too, is... You are fine, you know, this the uh, the content ID software that a lot of these platforms use, like YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, the content ID software that's supposed to be de detecting these songs, it's not 100% perfect. And a lot of artists are getting warnings and copyright strikes that are unwarranted. And it's yeah. a very scary landscape to be a creator right now. And I don't know what made Twitch just shoot this directive out out of nowhere. If I were to... Make a theory, perhaps a reckless theory on my part, but um, one theory I have is that this actually just came out right before we went on air, Katie, that Variety just reported that the National Music Publishers Association, which would represent all of the songwriters that would come after a tech platform for cover songs, just sued the video game platform Roblox, you know, those little robot uh, digital things that, you know, they play soccer sometimes. It's kind of interesting. They just, I mean, they look at me like explaining it as old like, as I possibly can. I'm like, yes, can. but no. Have I heard it? Yes. Do I have any idea what it means? Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> I, sh I should get my, uh, my, my young, uh, not my youngest, my oldest nephew to come on here. He could probably do 20 minutes on Roblox and educate all of us. But anyway, <laughs> Roblox just got sued by the music publishers for $200 million. That's a lot of zeros. And so I'm guessing yes. Twitch probably knew that was coming and said, oh, we better start cracking down. <laughs> you know, oh, this is yeah. the, the publishers are serious now. This is. And so, you know, that's the kind of thing that springs any tech platform into action. But and here's my last kind of thought on this, Katie. And and, and really, and this is where, you know, again, Twitch looking at you, Twitch. Thanks for the affiliate status. OK, but but <laughs> pretty firm critique here. Twitch is powerful enough that they could solve this problem. Like, don't think of this as like the big mean publishers and this poor, yeah. innocent little damsel in distress Twitch. Nah, -uh. Twitch is owned by Amazon. 
Amazon could buy and sell the music publishing industry many times over. Like tech is so much bigger than the whole music biz right now. So if Amazon and Twitch wanted to fix this, they could sit the music publishers down and work something out. Hey, we need to work out a bulk, a blanket sync licensing deal for all the major publishing companies so that our cover song creators on Twitch can cover songs without any uh, without any concern for their well-being. And how about this? Once yeah. you work that deal out, create a master list for all of these creators to let them know, like a searchable database, all the songs that are okay to cover because of this deal we've worked out. And then and then artists can can live in some amount of peace. And this is something that Twitch is able to do because they have the power and size and leverage to do it. They just need to do it and if they want to do right by their creators to stop creating frustrating experiences for them, as you so aptly put it, Katie, this is something yeah. that they need to do right away. But thank you for the affiliate status. Let's make that clear. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what's interesting? So I used to work in music publishing, and I went to school for music business, so you'd think I would know all about it, and I do, but I still find it the most nerve-wracking part of the industry because it is very, like legal and intricate and i feel like if you're an indie creator and you get hit with all these fancy words and copyright things and this type of um you know uh here's what you need to have and here's the license you have or you don't have it can be really scary and complicated and before you even mentioned i didn't actually know that amazon owned twitch but right before you said it i was thinking i wonder if this is the the publishers and labels just trying to get some like extra cash after the pandemic, which I didn't think was, I was like, that's a rogue thought. It could be, you know, who knows? But then you mentioned that Amazon owns Twitch and it really just feels like the people who are getting screwed over in this are like the indie artists because yes, the, the, obviously you want the people who are published to be paid their worth and be paid accordingly for their music. But you, it also ultimately hurts the, the small guys because they're out here trying to stream on Twitch and make money. And if they are going to end up losing money from this, it's just a shame that you have like these big corporations and probably, you know, big publishers. And then on top of them, big Amazon, who is not helping out the the indie creators. I mean, it's not a rogue thought on your part at all, Katie. It's actually, <laughs> it's actually pretty apt. What you brought up there is a pandemic happened. The economics of the music industry are changing forever. So yeah, money. You know, and and all the publishing companies are realizing that this internet machine that we're part of, live streaming, streaming video, this is the future of the music business. And publishers realize, and I think they all just kind of realize it together, that if they don't figure out some way to create some monetizing mechanism for all the cover songs and all the use of copyrighted musical compositions that's happening on Twitch, on YouTube, on Facebook, all these users, or on TikTok, for crying out loud, all these yeah. user-generated content platforms, they are going to be leaving a lot of money on the table for their songwriters and their publishing companies. And it creates this, you know, as, as an additional consequence, all of the creators on these platforms are going to live in this limbo where they don't know at any moment, is my account going to be suspended, canceled, or my video is going to be muted? Is my livelihood going to disappear literally overnight because Twitch won't sit down with the major publishing companies and hash something out that's a win for everybody? And it would be a win for everybody. To come up with a royalty structure that actually helps songwriters get paid? I want songwriters to get paid. I want publishers to get paid. 
And, but exactly. I want indie creators to feel safe as well. And there's a way that this yeah. can be done. A hundred percent. I agree with you. And, and probably it won't happen in the good way that helps everybody, but <laughs> I wish it would. I just wish it would because it, it stinks. It stinks that it's always the indie guys who get screwed. Oh, true. I'm enough. being a pessimist now, but hopefully we will, hopefully something good will come from this. We can only hope. Oh, gosh. I wish you didn't end us on that pessimism note, because the next story I'm going to bring up is even more pessimistic. Yeah. Let's, uh, you know, this this was this this first segment opening was kind of a drag. Let's uh, let's move to a, a more optimistic topic. Creator burnout. Depression uh, on God. TikTok. So the the incredible Taylor Lorenz, one of my favorite entertainment industry writers, always on the cutting edge of the creator economy, indie creation, just fantastic article. She recently wrote an article in the New York Times, uh, that that small little publication, called <laughs> Young Creators Are Burning Out and Breaking Down. And, it, and the article chronicles the toll that platforms like TikTok are taking on young creatives who are feeling a constant pressure to create and to satisfy the needs of these seemingly random, algorithmically delivered audiences. And it's gotten so stressful on this platform that you're seeing more and more creators on these platforms stepping away, citing mental health issues, stress, burnout, unpredictable in, uh, incomes, and user harassment. I, I I grabbed a couple quotes from this article, not from Taylor Lorenz's writing, but from just actual creators on this platform that you, Katie, as, as a life coach, as somebody who counsels artists through these, this very topic of burnout, you're probably going to see a lot of your own clients in these quotes. So one of the quotes from the article from a creator was, it feels like I can be washed up at any second by the platform. Another quote, it feels like I personally am failing and may never recover if a video flops. And it all comes back to this mm. algorithm, right? Like, really, all the creators that are going viral on TikTok, they're trying to satisfy this, this algorithm that puts you on the For You page, and you don't know what, what it's going to like or what it's going to favor at any different time. And you could create something that you think is really impressive, that you're really proud of, that nobody sees, and you can create something you think is pretty mediocre that just catches fire on the platform. And that sort of randomness, mm -hmm. that sort yeah. of divergence between input and output I imagine create a very stressful experience for creators, right, Katie? Oh, yeah. I have a lot to say about this, and I think it's obviously a very multifaceted issue, but I think that when you bring in people, I think the generation that's on TikTok is already at a poor mental health. Like, I'm just going to venture out to say that, and I, you know, they grew up with social media. You get a lot of people on there who are kind of seeking validation in ways or just like have dealt with bullying in the past, have other mental health issues. And it just seems to be coming like more and more rampant as it is. And then you start to chase this high of like, it's like a dopamine hit of, oh, I went viral. This is so exciting. But then once you get that, if you, and, and it is true that like your next video could do nothing. Uh, and I had that experience. I had a video hit like 35,000 views. And then the video right after that did the same thing actually. But like after those, it's been just in the hundreds or maybe the thousands, but nothing like that before. And so I think that if you, especially for the young creators, but um, even for a lot of the people who ended up being fortunate enough to make it their living, but also, you know, obviously you have this downside to it. It can be a lot of pressure when 
you feel like you have to constantly perform and you constantly have to have a win. And then you add cancel culture into it too. And it just becomes a hot mess. Like I, I remember I saw a video of one creator saying that, um, she deleted comments off of her video because she didn't want to get canceled. And it's essentially what she was saying was how it, how cancel culture works or how like the outrages work is you have one person who's bold enough to say that mean thing or that, you know, she sucks thing, whatever it is on their post. And then all of a sudden the hordes come behind it. Opens behind them. But like, yeah. exactly. So if you can control it to an extent, the floodgates don't open, but but if you don't, it can just destroy you. And I I even had one video, one of the videos that went viral I had was talking about Taylor Swift and Olivia Rodrigo. And um, it wasn't anti-Taylor Swift, but I was talking about how I used to not like Taylor. I liked her and then I didn't like her and it was totally about misogyny. Anyway, point is, it wasn't anti-Taylor. I was being very self-aware and just saying... <laughs> hey, it was interesting how millennials experienced this and how Taylor Swift got all this hate. And I had some people just being like, ew, I love Taylor. Why is this on my For You page? Like, just like me and comments like that. I was like, delete. It could be harmless, but I was like, I don't want this yeah. on my video. You, you got, know, you like, have to stamp so this think, out now. Yeah, but then some people might be like, you're deleting comments. You're trying to hide people's opinions and you're trying to just make yourself look good. So I feel like it's just, slippery slippery slope and it gets really complicated and hard to put all of that weight on one person's shoulders um and especially people who went viral in the pandemic use the creator fund and maybe some sponsorships to make money and then feel that constant like pressure just beyond the the validation now that you bring money into it and you really com complicate it to to put a lot of pressure on someone to, to deliver the constant pressure I think is one of the more frightening aspects of the platform. And I speak of this, by the way, as, as a, you know, vocif uh, a voracious consumer of TikTok. I, I mean, I think it's a great platform. I've heard it described as modern day vaudeville, right? Where it's just a new performer. Like every time it's, it's, it's vaudeville times yeah. a thousand. Cause instead of like getting a new performer, like every 20 minutes, um, you get a new performer every 10 seconds and yeah. you control the hook. And, but, mm -hmm. you know, and it, it's, it's an addictive platform. It, you know, the algorithm is incredible about how quickly it can just bring you videos that are tied to your uses. And that's powerful. But that same algorithm, which creates a fantastic experience for the consumer can create a frustrating experience for the creators. And I think of what a lot of creators have told me about TikTok, which you touched on just now, Katie, which is this idea of you feel the pressure, not just to constantly, uh, or just to constantly create, like instead of spending time really creating one beautiful piece of art that maybe takes you weeks to put together, you're not yeah. going to do that because you make, make that one piece of art. And if it doesn't go anywhere, you've just wasted weeks. Or if it's, or, or if it goes gangbusters, you still have to create more stuff and you just wasted weeks on this. And so what the platform incentivizes you to do is a content crunch, just more, more, more every day, twice a day. It doesn't, you know, it's not perfect. It doesn't, you shouldn't try to make it absolutely incredible, a work of art. It's just can keep feeding the machine. And that doesn't sound like something that's particularly satisfying or enriching to creators. And I can see how it would contribute to burnout. And it, yeah, it's not sustainable. Like I had, so I had like a roller coaster with TikTok. I got it like probably April or March when the pandemic started. And then 
I was just kind of using it for fun. And then at some point I decided I'm going to really try to make this work and like build up a business presence on here. And then I was, there's a lot of, um, TikTok experts or social media people who will tell you like, you need to post three times a day. You need to, you know, vary your videos. It needs to be this. And so I was doing that at one point I was posting three times a day and Whoa. it lasted like a couple weeks max because Number one, at that point, you're not actually putting out good content. And yeah, you could have some flops. It's not that big of a deal. But you're but I feel like when you try to create so much you, you create it's, it's quality over quantity, right? Like, you're doing more qua- quantity. <laughs> so <laughs> the qual the quality overall is going to suffer. And so even though you might have one hit, it, it, it overall, your platform is not as good. But the main thing is that unless it's literally going to be your job, it's really hard to create consistent quantity and quality videos all at once. But if you, if you're being told like, Oh, in order to grow, you have to post three times a day. Now you just put this pressure on yourself that you have to do it. Your videos aren't going viral because it, it doesn't just happen. And then you're even more frustrated because you're like, I'm doing everything right. And I'm spending so much time on this stupid app, but I'm not even getting results. Uh, until maybe one day you do, but yeah, it's just terrible. It's, I mean, I love it at the same time, but I do feel like you have to make your own rules and create your own boundaries with the platform. Otherwise it will destroy you. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. And it does speak to something <laughs> that Mary Amber brought up last week during her interview. When I asked her about the same question, I ask all the guests, do you have any last tips to share with the indie creators to help move their careers forward? And she talked about some of those ideas that you have to create for you. Ultimately, yeah. that what, com- what, what it comes down to is that has to be your guiding force, not what others necessarily want, but you have to create for you because, and this is the point she made at the end that still sits with me, whereas she said, because if you don't create for you and you create to satisfy somebody else and it's not, it doesn't make you happy and it turns out to be successful, then all your reward is is having to create more stuff that you don't like that doesn't satisfy yeah. you. And I think that's where the burnout starts to set in. Yeah, the one or the first video I had that went viral, no joke, that morning, I was like, I am done making TikToks I think I'm supposed to make. Like, you know, I was doing the educational, the storytelling. I was trying to be kind of formulaic about it. That morning, I was like, I'm done. And then I had this just funny, fleeting idea. And I was like, you know what? I had no makeup on. I was sitting in my bed. I made the video in literally 30 seconds. And then it went viral. (laughs) I was like... This is what happens. But to me, that was like a very clear sign um, that it was like, you need to just create what you think is funny or what you think is valuable or what you think you want to say. The next video after that, I was talking. It was like more discourse opinionated, but it was also something where I was just like, hey, I'm just having this feeling and I need to share it right now. Not me thinking, what are people gonna like? What are people gonna find funny? Or, you know, being behind the scenes being like, they're gonna love this one. That (laughs) is not an effective way to create because it usually you're not actually on the money because you're overthinking it a little bit, but it's also not truly coming from you. And I do think that like, that is the stuff I've seen it happen in my own life. So I know that, but I think that, you know, on the larger scale, that's the stuff that ultimately takes off and that you feel good about having gone viral and you feel like, okay, if I can just continue to speak from me, then I can keep up with that at least. Katie, before we bring Bree Noble in, we're gonna, before we go to commercial break, since we're on this topic of burnout, 
And you were speaking earlier about sort of the toxic presence that can exist in a TikTok comment section. Mm-hmm. I think you know, I'd love to spend a couple minutes talking about this this recent phenomenon that's happened with a young lady who covered, or, or rather, uh, duetted a cover song on this platform. I'll, I'll just quickly uh, give the listeners a little bit of a summary here, uh, just to kind of catch us all up. So there's this song called As the World Caves In by Matt Maltese. I think it came out like two or three years ago. It's a great song, by the way. You should check it out. Absolute banger. And um, Sarah Cothran, who's a, a popular TikToker, created a cover of that song, which I think to call it viral would require a gift for understatement. The Her performance <laughs> has exploded on this platform. People are yeah. using it for everything because it's a great version of the song. And yeah. as is often done with great musical performances on TikTok, people are duetting it, where basically you'll come on and you'll play another instrument to that person singing, or in some cases, you'll harmonize with the singer. And so a TikTok user named Fifty Shades of Swag posted a duet where she harmonized on top of Sarah Cothran's performance of As the World Caves In, and it was an unusual harmony. She used a lot of perfect fifths instead of thirds. It had a lot of, used some tension release that you don't see a lot in Western music. And for a lot of people, it, it, it didn't hit their ears the right way. And instead of doing what we should do in a civilized society when things don't hit your ears the right way, which is, you know, just keep your mouth shut, <laughs> this poor person got just brutalized on this platform. Her t- her comment section became a cesspool. She deleted the video and faced an incredible amount of harassment, the kind of harassment that, among all the other things that can lead to burnout on the platform, can certainly lead to burnout on the platform. And it, it just... It, it makes it, it it got into a cause that I've just been talking a lot about on Twitter, which is a pretty simple one, which is, hey, stop being a a-hole to creators. This is really yeah. hard. And as as uh, Taylor Lorenz's article shows, this is a hard enough business for indie creators between the evil algorithms and, uh, you know, Twitch deleting your account at any second because you have too many cover songs and your financial troubles and, you know, the lack of. A safety net that we have in American society for indie creators that we talked about a couple weeks ago. It, this is this whole industry is hard enough for creators without you yeah. also being a bleep hole on the platform. Yeah, so like you know, we have to be nice to creators because nothing else is. And by the way, you know I don't think you should act this way to a professional musician. But the woman who posted this video. She wasn't a professional. She was an amateur. She was a, a yeah. hobbyist. You know, she's not, yeah. at least from what I understand, is not trying to make like a career of this right out the gate. And we came down on her for just trying to have fun on the platform. We have to be better. Yeah. This is reminding me actually when Hamilton came out last summer, um, a similar thing happened, but the rage was just towards Lynn Manuel. Oh, this is what happened demos from Hamilton resurfaced. So oh, people found Lin-Manuel Miranda's SoundCloud demos, demos, and it was a demo. The singing was not great. It was like the first version of the song. It it wasn't good, right? Compared to what we know, it really wasn't that good. But people were trashing on Lin and making fun of him left and right. And I, I actually, it's reminding me that I made a video being like, do not do this because what it does is it shows your musician friend or even musician hobbyist friend that they're going to get criticized for their what they're doing. Like, if you criticize someone's early work, if somebody had listened to Lynn's 
demo and was like, you suck, Kaboom. you're a terrible singer. Yeah. Would he have continued to create Hamilton or would he have just been like, oh, this stinks. I'm really bad at what I do. Let me not move forward. You know, obviously everyone's going to handle that differently, but there's a really big chunk of people who are going to receive that criticism and not go on to grow, to expand, to ultimately put out the really good piece of work or the yeah. final version of that. That's really good. And so it hurts me because like you said, she was a hobbyist. So it's so sad that it was literally just someone being like, Hey, I think this is cool. And then people just raining hell upon her. Yeah. But then to think about what it also means in the broader picture, when you do this with people who are musicians, it can be really discouraging. I mean, I see videos of people sing- sharing their original songs all the time on TikTok that aren't always good, but Am I sitting there taking time to comment being like, this sucks? No, because what what good is that going to do? That person is not looking for constructive criticism. They are just sharing their words with the world. And if they are encouraged to keep doing it, they will get better with practice. So I just think it's so sad that, that it came to that. I feel really bad for that girl. And also, it I just... I was mad at the music community, to be honest with you, because I saw a lot of people sort of taking advantage of the situation to like educate or make their own versions of the harmonies. And I feel like that didn't do any good either, even though it was seemingly coming from a good place, it just continued to bring, you know, just sort of like bring attention to the situation, which I feel like didn't need more attention because it was doing more harm than good. A lot of AP music theory students coming out of the woodwork. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, just, we get it <laughs> yeah like oh yeah, yeah you got a four on the exam congratulations like leave this girl alone <laughs> like that's that, that's a lot of what that was and it yeah it's just it, it makes the it makes the industry a less hospitable place it makes the internet a less hospitable place and again parting words here everything about the way that we have constructed our governments tech platforms copyright law and just general business is all stacked against indie creators moving forward it is a wilderness out there yeah so think about whether you might be the one thing that makes it a little bit better for an indie creator how many indie creators have you talked to katie that say the only thing that keeps me in this right now when everything's dumping on me is the fans is my supporters like creators they need you and they yeah. need you to not be a-holes. Even, yeah. You know, that's, you know, my humble plea. <laughs> I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Like, just if you have nothing nice to say, even if you're an expert or even if you're a master guitarist or a vocal coach and you think you can provide someone with constructive criticism, do not do it unless they ask you or hire you. Like, it's, I think it's really rude to just, assert your opinion on someone because they maybe weren't looking at it. And again, it can do more harm than good. Exactly right. All right. Our, our dear friend, Brie Noble has been ever so patient and I, <laughs> I'm so excited to hear from her. Cause she's one of my favorite people to talk to on break the business. So we're going to bring her in right here after the break. Keep right where you are. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Ryan Corella here. I hope you're enjoying the show and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm, RKPA, does contracts, 
commercial law, copyright, mark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. I have an ear-to-ear smile on my face, and the reason why is one of my favorite people in the biz is joining us right now. Brie Noble is here, everybody. She is a music industry trainer and mentor and the founder of Women of Substance Radio, female entrepreneur musician, profitable musician, and probably like 10 other platforms that I forgot to mention, (laughs) and they're all excellent Check her out at femusician.com, one of my favorite people to talk to, Brie Noble on Break the Business. Hi, Brie. Hey. Uh, yeah, I'm sure I have 10 other platforms you don't know about. I was about to say, which <laughs> ones did I miss? Like, was it was it more than 10? Uh, no, I realize it, it can be kind of confusing, you know, when you have a business and you start out with one thing and then you add a thing and, you know, so now pretty much it's all under the umbrella of profitable musician, which is exciting. Well, good. And we're all for making musicians profitable. So yes. that makes a lot, that makes a lot of sense to me. But your latest adventure, the latest thing to put on what I am sure is a very long resume that probably requires multiple sheets of paper is a new initiative that you have with our favorite co-host here, Katie Zaccardi. <laughs> you guys are up to some fun. Tell us a little bit about what you're, you guys are collaborating on. We are. We are on a mission to help musicians add a new income stream. And this income stream is for teachers and coaches who are musicians that want to create a program that's going to bring in new income for them, whether that's like one-on-one coaching, group coaching, course, or a membership site, something that's going to add a stable stream of income to your business as a musician. So Maybe you're not even a coach or a teacher yet. Maybe you're a musician and you have skills in certain areas. Like, for example, me, I was a musician and I was a touring musician and I decided I didn't want to tour anymore. And I thought, you know, I love working in the music industry. How can I help musicians? And I realized that I had a lot of skills in marketing that I had built up through promoting my Women of Substance radio back then and also myself as a musician and then i had all these skills in business i was an accountant i was i managed uh, a team i you know was a director of finance at an opera company so i had all these skills that i knew musicians needed help with and that's where i started building my platform to help musicians but you know i went from being a touring musician to doing that so 
whether you're a teacher or coach now and you want to expand what you're doing or you've thought about it and you thought, "Mm, you know, that'd be cool. Maybe I should start teaching voice. I should start um, maybe doing, you know, guitar classes online or whatever you love to do and is your expertise and experience and knowledge base. That's what we are helping musicians to get out into the world. And, you know, I mean, Katie can talk about this too, but like, it's not just, I'm going to decide to do this thing and I'm going to put it out there and like put out maybe like one post, Hey, I'm opening up my shingle. I'm doing this. And people are going to come flocking to you. There's a whole process around it, which is why we are doing an upcoming challenge to help you know how to properly launch this thing so you can get people in. I love this. A lot of the creators out there, they are hungry for new revenue streams, new ways to share their gifts with the world and to make a living off of their talents. And what I seem to be hearing from you, Bree, is this idea that many of the indie creators out there, some of the ones watching or listening to this program, just by virtue of what they've already done with their careers and what they already have learned, what they know and what they can do, have already sort of built a foundation of knowledge that they can impart to folks through courses and through coaching and, and create a whole new revenue stream based on that. And that's exciting to me. And But as you aptly noted, this isn't just something where you just say, hey, I'm going to do this now and then it starts. So what is step one? If this is something that a creator is interested in doing, is interested in kind of learning more about how to enter this new phase of their art, uh, what what's the first step? Well, the first step is figuring out what your offer is. And an offer um, is basically a combination of what it what it is that you're putting out there, the new program you're creating, and like what your deliverables are. Is it going to be a one-on-one? Are you going to have a course that has videos? Is it going to be a combo? You know, how are you going to interact with these students? And figuring out, well, what is it that I'm going to offer? And that can really come from being really observant of what kind of questions are you getting from people and what kind of things do you love doing? Do people like come to you and like, Hey, can you help me with this? I know you're really good at this. Or are you always offering advice to other musicians around certain things? And, you know, I had, I've had several people that I've worked with who have done this in relation to, for example, uh, booking, you know, they became really good at booking gigs for themselves. And they had a lot of musicians coming to them saying, like, how are you doing this? And, you know, so she decided to launch a program around booking. Or maybe you're teaching people one-on-one in your local area and you want to be able to teach more people and spend less time instead of like trading your time for money, you can expand that program and create like a whole vault of videos. And then maybe you only meet with your student once a month or something. And then they have all this other stuff they can work with in the background. So there's so many ways that you can do this, but you, you need to be like really curious and, and listening and thinking about what are the things that you already do for me? You know, I was, in Women of Substance, I was building that platform and I saw a lot of musicians that had amazing music and they weren't getting it out there. Like I was literally the only one playing their music. Like, how can this be? This is so good. Why is it not out there? And they would say, 
well, I don't really know how to market myself. Mm. I, you know, I'm waiting for a label to pick me up because I don't know how to do any of that stuff. <laughs> like, this. like, we need to get your music out there. And so that was really the impetus for me starting my Female Musician Academy and everything I did after that is that I just got a lot of questions around it. So you just need to be really paying attention and thinking outside the box of what you could teach and things that you love to do and that you're good at and you're you're getting a lot of questions around. Katie, I've never actually asked you this before. Do you have a similar story to what Bree brought up about how you got into coaching? Was this something where a lot of people were kind of asking you the same questions and you were because you were like the go to on that particular topic and you're like, hey, I should start coaching about this. Um, no, I asserted myself. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the other approach. You just kick in the door and say, I'm coaching now. (laughs) No, well, the thing is that (laughs) my, (laughs) my story is a little bit more convoluted just because I was working with women crush. And so I was sort of like, before I left Women Crush and before I started coaching, I had started this online initiative with them, which was called the Women Crush Collective. It was a Facebook group where I was answering a lot of the questions and helping do trainings around the things that our artists that we were dealing with were really coming up against there. But I then took a detour because I started as a wellness coach. And that that came a little bit... like it came less from questions and more from my own experiences. I got my yoga teacher training. I dealt with burnout myself. I saw that, like, I I guess it sort of was because I was seeing a lot of other artists were burnt out or were dealing with similar things as me. And so I was like, I have the skills to help you. Let me help you. And then once I actually came out with it and was like, this is what I'm doing. I can help you. Then I started to get questions, but I, I knew that the need was there. I guess, especially with something more wellness oriented, people weren't all just flooding my inbox. Like, how do I overcome my anxiety and imposter syndrome? But, um, (laughs) but yeah, once I pivoted into business, it was a similar thing where like I was getting a lot of similar questions. So a little bit more, uh, not straightforward, but, (laughs) (laughs) but it didn't come out of nowhere. Like I had the, I had the street creds, I had the knowledge to back it up and I knew it was happening, but uh, it wasn't until I actually launched that people felt comfortable enough to ask me those questions and get the support that they needed. Bree, let me ask you about platforms. There are no shortage of tools out there that help people that, that purport to say, hey, you want to build a course, you want to coach people, use our platform. It's it's drag and drop, take the stuff you already know, put it in our platform, and then you can even sell your courses on this platform. For a for somebody who wants to create a course, do you recommend those sort of courses or do you recommend building something more original and native? I would definitely not build anything. There are so many options now. Uh, actually, back during the pandemic, like during April, uh, Banzoogle approached me and they asked me to do a webinar for their people of like, how can you get started in this like right away? And so I gave them like some really, really DIY, like scrappy things. Like, you know, you can just have a private Facebook group and charge people on PayPal or Venmo or Square, or you can uh, use your Banzoogle site and like have a, have a paywall, you know, or, you know, a, a password protected area. Now, I mean, if you're going to like really go into this, and I think if you're really focusing on launching something that you're going to be continuing with launching it over time, 
I would definitely go with something that is a pre-created platform. Um, I know I love Teachable. I've used Teachable for six years. And what I love about it is that you can have everything that you need in there. You don't have to like get a separate video platform and embed things and have all these things hooked together. And that's why I don't recommend like a WordPress option because there's so many like things that can break. And I, But I know Katie uses Kajabi and that's the same kind of thing where you can, yeah. it's, everything is native. You can host everything in there. It's not going to break on you. Um, but these are investments, right? So we don't recommend necessarily that you jump into that right away. And if you're doing one-on-one -on -one coaching, I mean, you can use something like Zoom and, you know, a, a Slack channel or something like that. Yeah. Now, in terms of launching this uh, teaching, whether it's a course or whether it's coaching, you had said earlier that, you know, you don't just want to say like, hey, I'm doing it. And then that's the last anybody hears from you, which I read as saying that there are some common mistakes that you've seen other coaches and course creators frequently traffic in when creating these platforms. And I'm wondering, could you share uh, another common mistake that you see new course creators, new coaches make when launching their platform that you might advise our listeners and viewers to avoid? Yeah, I mean, there there are lots of them. And that one about just kind of putting it out there and then like hoping for the best and not and planning. And there's a lot of things around that. And it's basically not warming up your audience and not having any kind of a way for them to really understand what you're doing before you put it out there. So there are a lot of people that might be absolutely perfect for your program and they might not even know they're perfect for your program yet. So let's just take, for example, maybe you're teaching, uh, let's say you're teaching like beginning fiddle lessons. Okay. So there may be people out there that in the back of their mind, it's always been on like their bucket list. Oh, I really want to take fiddle, but like, yeah, like I'm never going to like be a professional. So why would I, should I spend money on this? And you can do a lot of education around that, that to like remind them, first of all, like, oh my gosh, you know, if this is on your bucket list, like this is something you can actually learn how to play stuff just at like a family gathering, like a simple thing. And you can feel so good about it. Um, and you can just create a lot of like desire for them if they kind of have a little bit of desire, but they need that kind of pumped up. Or maybe they have these beliefs like, I remember my husband with guitar. He did not start playing guitar until he was like almost 40. And it's because he was convinced that his fingers were too stubby and, <laughs> fat, and big or like, like fat or whatever. And he couldn't, he didn't think he could like play the chords. And so he had convinced himself of this over years. So, you know, you do your market research, you talk to these people that are going to be your perfect customer. And you find out like, why have you not learned? Why are you 39? And you've not learned guitar, even though this has been on your bucket list forever. And you find out these little things like this and you can <laughs> little educational things around it and help them get ready and be your perfect customer because maybe they don't even know that they are yet. And is a big part of that warming up your potential audience process, creating a presence for yourself on socials, on websites, uh, blogging, maybe creating videos, TikTok, Twitch, things like that, so that people can find you, can discover you, learn about you, and then be eventually drawn to the services that you can provide? Absolutely. And I mean, for me, a big, a big part of that has been email list. 
You know, mm. I've grown my email list over a long period of time. And it's just, it's so awesome because I can talk directly to them. They, they feel like they know me. Um, whereas social media, you know, you are relying on algorithms. Like you guys were talking about earlier, the stress of like tomorrow, they could just decide that my content is not at all cool anymore and nobody likes it and they don't show it to anyone. So yes, you definitely should be creating presence on all of these places. Uh, I would focus on a few, like for me, it is definitely Facebook and Instagram that I'm focusing on. Um, I'm not trying to spread myself too thin by doing TikTok and all the things because it would just be too much for me, but I'm focusing on those two places and I'm going deep there. I'm, I'm doing not only just educational stuff, like I said, but even just showing up like lifestyle, like, you know, taking pictures from, you know, the walk that I had this morning or, uh, talking about, you know, the article that I just had published or, um, just lifestyle stuff with my family and on the new house that we bought, like they want to know that you are the teacher that they want to work with because they could work with like potentially many different people teaching the same thing. So you not only want to show them that you know what you're talking about, you want to educate them around the thing, you want to shift any beliefs that might keep them from being your student, but you also need to show them the other parts of you so they really feel like, wow, this is a person that I can jive with when I want to learn. Oh, I, I appreciate that. And, I, and it gets back to what we've talked about on this program a lot about the importance of authenticity and humanity in the new music industry, about how this is what audiences want now. I love it. Terrific. Bree, before I get to our final question, I want to uh, just ask one more time, just so we all have it. Uh, where can people find more to learn more about the the new coaching instruction initiatives that you and Katie are going to be putting together? Absolutely. So Katie and I put together a quiz to get people started to figure out what is the best offer for them. And you can find that at profitablemusician.com slash quiz or katiezacardi.com slash quiz. And then we've got an exciting challenge coming up in a few days. It's going to be June 15th through 17th. And we're going to be going live every day. Uh, it's a it's the three steps to successfully launch a new income stream as a music teacher or coach. And every day we're going to cover a new step. We're going to talk about offer. We're going to talk about warming up your audience. And we're going to talk about the actual launch and how we can do this without feeling uncomfortable and salesy and weird about asking for people's money, right? Because musicians, <laughs> that's not the easiest thing for them. So um, you can join that challenge. Um, we've got even some really juicy, like behind the scenes stuff that we put in there too. Uh, you can join that at profitablemusician.com slash free challenge or katiezacardi.com slash free challenge. We would love to hang out with you um, during those three days. That sounds awesome. I have a smile on my face now. This is a nice optimistic way to end this show after the first segment was so damn depressing. That's, that's yeah. Me, me and Katie just made everybody sad before the break, and then Bree Noble came in and made us you all made smile. You look so good. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> all right, Bree. before we let you go, one last question. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? I do, and it relates to what you guys were talking about earlier. So- you know, you guys were talking about how you're leaving so much up to chance and with like things like Twitch canceling cover songs or, you know, um, TikTok, you know, getting cancel culture and all this stuff, right? Or the algorithm, like when you build your own income stream by 
teaching and helping other people, not only are you going to feel way more fulfilled about the way that you're making money because you know that you're helping other people do amazing things in the world, but you are going to be in control of your own platform and you're going to be able to, you know, not have to worry as much about whether your stuff is being shown on social media or you're, you know, getting enough views on YouTube to make monetization and all of that stuff because you are controlling what you're doing and you are helping people directly, which I find to be one of the most fulfilling things about what I do. That native platforms, that's what it's all about. And I find myself being quite fulfilled talking to you, Brie. Thank you so much as always for coming on the show. Every time we have you on, it is a joy. You always have so much great insight to offer. And you know, we've been doing this for about five years and your the relationship I, that this show has been able to have with you, that I've been able to have with you has been just fantastic on so many fronts. Really appreciate you taking the time this week. Thank you. I always love being on. Yeah. All right. Bree Noble, everybody. Fantastic. She's, yeah, no, yeah, that's, that's clap it up. She's, <laughs> she's marvelous. We love Brie. And I, I've had the, I've had the pleasure of working with her on so many different projects, whether it's break the business, I've done some stuff with profitable musician. She's awesome. She knows her stuff and she genuinely cares about the creators, which, you know, that's obviously on the top of our list. Oh, goodness gracious. What a terrific show. This has been fantastic. My thanks to you, Katie, for uh, co-hosting with us, lending some tremendous insight. Uh, my thanks to L.E.K. Entertainment. We always, uh, L.E.K. Entertainment, uh, Lauren producing the show every week. I, I never thank her because I'm just a jackass. Uh, L.E.K. <laughs> Entertainment is fantastic. Uh, check it out at L.E.K.Entertainment.com. I think I have that right. Thumbs up if I, okay, I'm getting a nod from Lauren that I got that right. Check her out. Lots of great uh, performance services for creators. And uh, my thanks to uh, you all for listening and watching and uh, just creating a fantastic week for us. Thanks for checking out Break the Business. We'll see you next week.